Hey, this is Rusty Kelly. And this is Amelia McKay. And this is technically the fifth episode of the Breathing Problem Productions podcast. Um, I'm so stoked and excited that we're, you know, we're we're staying on this thing. We're keeping at it, you know. There's no going back. Um, so this episode is going to be dedicated to um, the Concave Convex album Victory Over Body, which um, Amelia and I were talking about how to us it along. Okay, so if we were talking about our favorite albums and if, if we, in terms of albums we've made, um, if we define kind of favorite as, um, you know, that album being successful and what we wanted it to sound like. Um, obviously, Bed of Sex is up there, and we talked about that one. And then now we wanted to talk about, you know, the one that's probably tied or second, however you define it, right? Right. And um, I guess uh, this album, you know, Concave Convex, for people that don't know, is Amelia and I, just like Breathing Problem is, uh, we call these projects in-house Breathing Realm Productions podcasts and that they are just uh, the two people that run BPP. And um, I think uh, this album, like I said before, is one of those albums where the things just came together in a way where everything kind of clicked. I don't know. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it was like um, an enormous amount of content that we could choose from that we you know had this real ear for and eye for yes i think you know um the one thing about this album is that it came from uh, amelia going through hours of various documentaries about um not just the larry nassar or uh, dominique monaco uh gym stuff but also just the history of gymnastics in general mm-hmm. and lots of the loops and samples that we used uh, instead of something obvious like using synthesizers of which we used those two in drum machines or, you know, contact mics. There was also a lot of use of cutting up those various documentaries of live gym footage or uh, other strange sounds and using them. Um, so I think, but I guess maybe I'm ahead of myself. I wanted to just touch base a little bit on how concave convex started, which, um, the first, uh, the first concave convex album is, uh, just, it's actually untitled. Um, it's this one, uh, Amelia and I just were talking about different names for different projects and, uh, we decided on the name Concave Convex. And uh, one thing I think that that is interesting is Amelia had found this sample of Kylie Jenner talking about uh, pre-surgeries. I think it's a completely pre-surgery Kylie yeah. picture, right? It was a, it's a picture, it's a video of Kylie saying how, you yeah, know. Yeah, like on Instagram, it's like automatically like a looped video. So right, where she's like saying, you may not like the way I look. or You may not like my jawline. My eyes may be too big for you and my lips may be too small. But I love the way that I look and so should you. Yeah, she says, I love the way I was made. Yeah. And so should you. <laughs> and um, if you want to hear this track, 
it's on our band camp um it's called the reveal the skin inside my mouth and um i think we had just been going back and forth on ideas for a project that was specifically related to um i guess the human body and body dysmorphia and social media that felt like it kind of existed outside of breathing problem or interior one you know yeah and um it was finding that loop, which, you know, is obviously an amazing, ironic thing because, of course, Kylie is well known for getting major surgeries in order for her to essentially become hugely popular and famous. And for a while, you could argue she eclipsed Kim Kardashian in popularity in terms of who was the most famous Kardashian Jenner. Um, I would say Kim is maybe back to being number one, maybe. I, I, that's my, that's my argument, you know, but, um, yeah, it's true. There's, there's a lot of people that still like look at her as like the, you know, the most beautiful one or like the, you know, the most popular. Yeah. I don't know. Kylie, of course, has become very guarded and, um, only shows very controlled side of her where not that Kim doesn't, but Kim's a little more, uh, I don't know. She seems like she takes things a little less seriously. Uh, Amelia and I could talk about the Kardashians all day, but needless to say, uh, I think it's incredible the way that Kylie essentially gets these surgeries. She gets her lips. She gets, she keeps saying she got filler, but she got a lip lift. She got, you know, she had no lips. Then she gets lips. She gets many other surgeries as time goes on. And um, essentially what the culture and social media does is completely reward her and says, yeah, you were the ugly one and now you're fucking sexy and beautiful and interesting. And she becomes the most popular Kardashian slash Jenner. And, uh, she's told, you know, there, you know, in the nineties, there was all this shit about like, do, you know, I'm a man saying this, but this is my understanding of do fashion magazines make women anorexic, (laughs) you know, as if, it's not it's much more complicated than that but i but like you know in the very least that shallow kind of statement becomes completely in a way true in the sense that like kylie was just showered you know if there was an award for you're the greatest girl in the world Mm -hmm. she was given it at that moment and people uh, still back that for sure and they like make posts that are like well people are just super mad that you know she didn't like the way she looked and so she had enough money to like fix it yeah that kylie you're just jealous of kylie you're just jealous of kim's wealth you're just jealous that kylie's beautiful and now um i would say kylie's botched um she has so much filler it's like the the photoshop that's involved with those pictures like you might as well not have surgery because she doesn't really look that great just without i mean how how old is kylie is she 97 i think she's like 22 or 23 i guess we could just look um but kylie looks like well however old she is she's like in her early to mid 20s she looks i would say like a 40 something woman with bad plastic surgery and by the way i know i come off as being really weird and bitchy uh, I'm a bitchy straight guy, but I grew up with um, a single mom, and we she had bought tons and tons of National Enquirers. She loved Princess Diana. She loved Elizabeth Taylor. She loved talking about, you know, gossip and, uh, for lack of a better word, and uh, 
and the me- social the media that was pre-social media i guess um and so i'm the i don't think i'm special but i'm that the straight guy that is 100 percent plugged into that world maybe concave convex is a reflection of my interest in what culture would define as what uh is the interests of women or women and gay men i know i'm being very generalizing and broad but uh needless to say this first concave convex album utilizes the kylie clip it utilizes um other social media people that are not very popular but they were people that were talking about having issues with eating disorders um and then also we used the sample of the uh the twins the two twin girls the abby and Brittany. abby and Brittany, who are basically to the naked eye it looked like it's a two-headed girl essentially mm-hmm. it was the way it looks um and you know this this podcast isn't about that first tape but feel free to listen to it and it's one that i really love um and uh you know i think we'll i'll be mentioning this a lot but the this isn't i guess these tapes aren't just some indictment of social media is bad and all plastic surgery is bad and eating disorders are just really simple. They, girls just need to stop having them. Of course, that's not what these things are about. It's They're about how complex mm-hmm. and multifaceted all and the... Psychological and emotional. Right, and the way that um, I think our culture and, and uh, the media play around with people's interests in different shallow, simplistic ways, but it's all so much more broad and deep. Um, and I mean that in the sense of like, there's a, it's like a deep a deep ocean of, of which there's so many layers um the second tape uh is the sex surrogate tape which we could do it maybe we will do an episode about it someday but it was about um the annabelle chong case and um I, now i'm pr- it's sex surrogate it's a documentary doc- right yeah. there's an amazing documentary the tape's basically one side is kind of about annabelle the other side is about maureen Right, her name was Maureen. She was what's called a sex surrogate. Excuse me, sex surrogate, and she. It, I don't know if this exists anymore, but it was like an experimental field of uh, essentially counselors or psychologists, some that had degrees, some that didn't, that essentially used literal sex as a healing mechanism for people that maybe couldn't. It, it's all theoretical. Like, who knows if any of this stuff was worked. But it would be like, say, a man who was afraid, who hadn't had any partners, maybe what we define as an incel, you know, whatever the fuck that means. But, or a, a weirdo autistic guy, and, and she would use sex to try to heal him, to make him, quote-unquote, normal again. Mm-hmm. Uh, or men that um, felt, or older men that weren't having getting sex from their wives. And their, or they had erectile dysfunction. Right, um, and... You know, you can do a lot of reading about this sex surrogacy theory stuff. Um, it wasn't, like, taught in schools or anything. But uh, I think there was a handful, maybe more people that tried this. And in many ways, it was a mix of, like, sex work and um, new age psychology mm-hmm. or, and stuff. Um, in many ways, it didn't work and it doesn't work. And but in the documentary, that's, like... Very apparent. Yeah. And, and so um, there's an amazing documentary that I think you can easily find on amazon it might be even be streaming on amazon prime uh by a director named kirby dick called sex surrogate it's really cool because it's shot on a very early vhs i believe like early video camera type thing um that documentarian later did um 
There's a documentary, Sick, about uh, the... Bob Flanagan. Yeah, about the S&M artist Bob Flanagan, um, which is an, a movie both Amelia and I are deeply connected to. Maybe we'll do an episode someday about <laughs> that movie. But um, needless to say, I had ne- I had heard about the documentary. Um, and a couple years ago, the writer Peter Sotos sent me and Amelia um, a box of uh, films like DVDs, tons of like uh, really great documentaries. Some I had seen and some I hadn't specifically the sex surrogate documentary. Um, and uh, so it was like a, anyway, a very nice thing. Uh, I know I'm side bragging, but he's an amazing, incredible artist and he w- did a very kind thing in sending, you know, documentaries and stuff that we could use and see stuff that was clearly from, you know, cited in bibliographies of his own work. And uh, he also sent lots of uh, books that were all around us in our house um, that we use as reference material all the time. But uh, that that tape, I think, was a step up even more. Um, you know, we, of course, Annabelle Chong's documentary, Sex, is a hugely important documentary to Amelia and me. Um, do you want to talk about why you're interested in Annabelle Chong? Or? Uh, sure, yeah. Um she was like a college student and as a young adult moved to LA chose to go into the porn industry while being i think she was majoring maybe it was graduate i think it was like graduate school UCLA right. and she was so, doing a feminist studies thing right right and her pornography became a part of her study right as like a being her own subject this was her i don't know if she ever finished it this was her kind of claim of like oh uh this was the 90s ucla we had gotten you know feminism had gotten into i guess what you define the third wave which is a lot of sex positive feminists like Susie bright um and uh others who uh were saying like all this negativity that Andrea Dworkin and Catherine McKinnon about how pornography is bad and sex work is, is dangerous and, and hurtful to women. That's total bullshit. You know, this is beautiful, incredible stuff. And and I realize that's kind of a broad generalization of those uh, third wave feminist work. But uh, needless to say, um, Annabelle was in the mindset that sex work could be a very empowering, invigorating thing. Right. And in the process she kind of has to reconcile all these different internal battles going mm-hmm. on which makes it like really interesting to watch even though it's like so bleak and, and hard to watch right because the documentary becomes um it, it it's it's not as simple as like well she gets into the porn industry and she gets spit out i mean that does happen in in, in some ways mm-hmm. but there's a couple different layers of things going on that are so interesting the you know, impacts of these acts that she did are written off in an intellectual way as being something that is like this enlightened thing right but all the while they are like tormenting her and tearing super her damaging. apart in yeah. this real damaging way and and she's being completely exploited she's i mean if you guys have watched it you know for the people that don't know annabelle chong did what was called the world's biggest gangbang i don't know if it really was the biggest at the time it was beaten later on but we find out later she wasn't even paid for it 
Um, I think she was maybe given a little money at the time and probably being, she was probably paid in drugs. She's, she's also addicted to speed. It seems like throughout the documentary. Um, and then there's a third layer, which is this documentary being made out by who we later learn is, I guess her boyfriend. And he of course is exploiting her completely. And I, and I really say exploiting because later on she goes to visit her mother. It's very clear that the, the filmmaker needs an ending to his film, right? She did her thing. But there's there's no ending to this, you yeah. know. So they go back to t- uh, Taiwan, uh, where she's from. Yeah, and they first meet her cousin, and, and then her mom, and then like s- somebody anonymously, I'm saying that in quotes, calls and tells the mother about her being uh, a pornographer, and it's pretty much accepted by fans of this documentary and others that the documentarian told the mother so that there would be a filmic. Uh, confrontation Mm -hmm. which happens of course this is like a traditional mother uh from taiwan chinese i I, I might be anyway needless to say i don't know if needless to say she is completely heartbroken and there's a horrible confrontation that's secretly filmed and um it's completely used for the documentary Right. And I'm assuming at the time the filmmaker was like, who could have done that, honey? That is so fucked up. Well, let's at least get it. Um, and so there's all these, and I don't think Annabelle got paid for the documentary, yeah. right? So there's there's multiple, multiple things levels. going on. And and at the in the end of it all, in, in the beginning of it all, it was like, you know, I don't necessarily think she got into pornography and sex work as really even as a kind of like, oh, all you bitches in the feminist studies department at UCLA, I'll show you. I mean, I think she got into it because she wanted extra money, like many women get into pornography. What I'm saying is, like, she later says, or she says initially, oh, I'm doing it to, like, show everyone their their pussies and I'm the fucking real deal. But I, I think she got into pornography for the regular reasons people get into it, also drug addiction being a, a key th- figure. But, again, that's another episode, a, a hugely important documentary for Amelia and I um and it's incredible it's one of those movies I feel like we can like put on anytime for me another for me another example of that is the film capturing the Freedmans but um we make as concave convex Amelia and I made that second tape and then this third tape was victory over body and these were all made pretty quick quick in terms of every couple months I'd say every six months or so Mm -hmm. and um Victory Over Body came about because the Larry Nassar trial, which this is all kind of based around um, for the people that don't know. Um, and, you know, there's two documentaries, one on HBO, one on Netflix, all about how a um, sports medicine doctor who was at the Olympics, you know, gymnast sports medicine doctor and a hugely powerful loved figure in gymnastics was had been um, sexually abusing his clients that were girls for years, including, you know, huge Olympic gymnasts. And he had been doing it in a kind of strange, non-traditional way in the sense that it wasn't the traditional grooming and then he molests them in his house or, at you know, uh, at the gym instead, although he did do it there too, but instead he... It's like a process totally involving parents... Well, and it's it's a process that's under the guise of I'm doing um, needed medical work on you, so they would practice, which is uh, 
seen as a technique which is legitimate if right it, you know if it's qualified right and because what he would do is he would essentially these girls would have issues with their like legs being locked up or muscle spasms you know the normal stuff you know most of the time i'm sure there's stretches or different kinds of like techniques instead he was doing a pelvic floor stretching right he was touched he was putting his ungloved hand into their vaginas and anuses for, their, their cavities yeah. right and he was fondling them that's essentially what he was doing but he was doing it under in this confusing way where the girls thought they were just getting a medical examination or you know having a medical procedure a lot of times the girls parents would be sitting there so um it's even more confusing and strange to the girls in a way some of them realize they've been molested years later and they didn't even realize it although it seems like all of them felt something was really wrong um so at the time the the victim impact statements were being live streamed and posted in huge chunks on various news sites so we're talking like 45 minutes to multiple hours every day of each girl giving a victim impact statement to nassar to be later um you know, sent to prison for life. Um, and Amelia and I would sit and watch these uh, statements just like in tears. And they're just, you know, complex and powerful. And we would also rip the footage audio-wise to be used later on, right? Right. Um, and from that, um, the, like many of our stuff, it all begins, or some of our stuff, it all begins with first a concept and then samples um for me and when i say samples i mean voices talking about abuse or about a specific thing um f for me you know it all stems from buyer's market by peter sotos and uh the various peter sotos tracks that he did for white house like uh private public and bird seed that are just samples only um those type of tracks are something that affected me for the rest of my life and are hugely important to me so for many of our projects they can there's just sample only things where there's no synthesizer under them to kind of add a easy hand holding method of like well there's a synth and there's some reverb and it's it'll e easy to get through it it's just it is what it is mm -hmm. i guess the let's do this like um bed of sex where let's listen to a little bit of the first track and then we're gonna we'll edit and put pieces awesome. so yeah so that way we're not just kind of like i'm not just talking with like no structure um so let's this this first track is called i am an olympian it's an intro and it's a pretty long track it begins with um kind of ambient piece and then ends with long samples from the nassar D-E-L-I-N-E -E Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And how old are you today? Fifteen. And you're comfortable speaking? Yes. All right, very good. You seem very confident. 
So I want to hear those words nice and loud, all right? All right, thank you. The first time I went to see Nassar, I was 12 years old. Being the little gymnast I was, I was beyond excited I had the opportunity to have Nassar as my doctor. He was spoken so highly of as he was known as the gymnastics doctor. I was slowly injuring my back more and more with every practice until one night my pain was so bad I couldn't even breathe without breaking down into tears. My parents were contemplating whether or not to take me to the ER, but my mom insisted she would just text Nassar to get me into an appointment as this seemed like the most beneficial way to get treatment. Okay, so we're back. Um, so this is a very long track. I guess it's the longest track on the whole album because you have uh, a couple minute intro, which is from what? I think it's a mix of two things or just one thing? It's probably two different layers of like, a practice springboard mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like their gyms and probably like doing flips mm -hmm. and then also a, a like olympic performance like with like a rhythmic gymnastic pr performance right and then there's like this kind of beautiful this, to me it's beautiful uh, uh piano kind of classical music ballad that comes on during one of the i guess is it a some kind of a competition for gymnasts yeah so it's like an old video right it, it's like a, a black and white kind of old i don't know if it's an olympic video but something so yeah i think it is one of the older ones um and to me i don't know i love it because to you know of course i'll never be a person who is disconnected to this hearing it for the first time but to me i hope that there's a kind of confusion when you're hearing it of like w trying to place what the sounds are from and what they are um, and, you know, they're kind of low fidelity in a sense that they feel like ancient and fuzzy and things start to flow. And then you hear, hear this piano music and then uh, a crowd, right. Sure. And a crowd and there's clapping. And I think there's a, this dislocated feeling and then you get pushed into the majority of the track, like, you know, probably the next nine minutes or so, or maybe more, which is the, uh, victim impact statements. And, um, you know, there's no, again, there's no backing track to hold your hand. There's nothing to fall back on. Um, to me, it's almost like if you, you know, and, and this isn't even about the, the hard, the nature of the samples being like about sexual abuse. I mean, if you, this, I don't know, I guess to me it, it, it gives a kind of doorway right at the start to people that don't want to do it. Like, it's like, do you want to, do you want to participate? Do you want to listen to this? Do you want to, you have not have what it takes, but like, do you have the patience or empathy right. to sit there? And yeah. Listen? And, and cause it's from right on the, from right off the back, there isn't a kind of easy entrance. And, and I mean, you know, with power electronics, I like tradition, you know, traditional PE in, in the various forms of that, um, in one form of that might be like the, what, you know, you could call the Atrax Morgue style, like a sample with lots of reverb and maybe delay underneath a buzzy or bassy, um, synth tracks where it's like very dreamlike, which I love that style. So we use it at the end of the whole album champion production, which is a sample of Dominique Mar Martin. I always say her Moshianu. name. Yes. Moshianu. Um, but 
in this case, that was the choice to do the buyer's market way of just hitting in you in the face with a bat kind of style. And uh, we have listened to these samples many times. We know the girls, we know the voices, we know the stories. Especially also because we used uh, these samples in various forms and the live performances we've done. Um, and I think um, uh, generally, you know, that's its own topic. But, you know, with the, the live version of Concave Convex, we've gotten to do that performance. We had like similar to the mattress on the floor breathing problem performances. There was a gymnast kind of victor over body flavor of concave convex performances. Um, the ultimate one I would say we did in New York City, Thousands of Dead Gods. I booked it on your birthday in, was it 2018, I think? Yeah. Um, like one of the best shows we've ever played, just in terms of how fun it was. Yeah, it was awesome. So um, thank you to Justin and Matt for booking that show. Um, and... Uh, the way that the live shows usually worked was we would do a set amount of tracks and then you would be on a table, right? Would it be the, at the end? Sometimes it would be a table. Sometimes it wouldn't. I feel like crazy forgetting pieces of it, but it would, it would be like we, we would have, wait, what would it be? Like how would the performance work? It was like the part of the sample of that like idea behind uh nasar placing towels between the girl and her mom in the room mm -hmm. um and doing this very blatant like blatantly mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and so it f that i guess like the creation of that performance really was like getting the audience involved almost like a lot of it is like centered around and focused on this like parental involvement with as, as kind of viewers watching this abuse happen but Spe also like you're at fault or you're the blame you're the one to blame for your your ignorance and your passivity right and the obsession with their daughters bodies as, and right the, the daughter's bodies as commodities and connections to a world of of stardom as little mini gymnasts and then also of course the audience members whether they're the audience members in the courtroom during the nassar hearings or the audience members um at olympic games um the audience who, who were I, I think we wanted the audience members of our performances to feel that way and so in my you know, you guys can laugh because I'm like forgetting, hey, COVID sucks. It's like we haven't gotten to play like performances in so long, but we would do a thing where you'd be lying down and I believe we would be playing the victim impact statements. And then at the same time, uh, I would have a contact mic and a distortion pedal that would kind of turn on and off. So there would be like this raw violent harsh noise that would overtake the samples and that that harsh noise would kind of be a connection to me touching you as this kind of doctor patient right right isn't that how is that how i'm like literally asking like crazy is that how they worked yes that's that was uh, it totally in terms of the culmination of the performances mm -hmm. um 
I, I don't know. So those are some of my favorite ones. Um, Again, it's like, I love playing around with like how much an audience gets to be involved and subjected to something. Mm-hmm. And like mirroring that same like idea of, you know, passively watching something that right. is wrong, uh, you know. And, and similar to Breathing Problem, right, playing yeah. around with this idea of pointing a finger at the audience and at the same time, like, the time, you know, wanting to push them away and to hate them. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's move on to the second track. It's called Cross Twine. So thoughts on this track? Uh, yeah, uh, the word cross twine is simply middle split position, like full full splits. And so this whole track is about those videos I watched uh, of parents uh, doing what's called assisted stretching. And it's where uh, the gymnast like lies on their back like on a flat bench and then the legs are forced down past like the underside of the bench and it's like this crazy manipulation to like achieve the perfect illusion of of total body contortion right. and so it's also the introduction of kind of the idea of like perhaps what it would feel like these parents to kind of look back and understand the impact of the entire sport and their training and and their the parents involvement with achieving this perfection in their in their child and perhaps that was like a, a like a contributing factor to an injury mm-hmm. which led to this this kind of need for for thera- physical therapy and to see Nassar. Not only is it this intense like uh, pain that these that these teenagers mm-hmm. were going through, their bodies were already at this point, which you know, puberty's painful. Yeah, we don't even realize like, especially for girls in, in culture. Yeah, none of these things are normal, and they all seem to end up in horrible back or or leg or, or it know, ruins their life injuries. right like a normal girl grows up when i say no, you know i'm saying a, a girl that isn't in say gymnast for specific sports and it's a painful puberty painful growing up emotionally and physically but at least they don't have like broken bones and sockets and joints and you know early onset dis- you know diseases and stuff like that you know what i mean 
uh, for the rest of their lives. So it's like there's a it's almost like, you know, you could say this about all professional sports, but a couple, you know, from a young, young age, they destroy their bodies and a couple go to the Olympics out of pretty much sheer luck that they never had a serious injury in their right, life. It's total. It's a total crapshoot. And then maybe one or two get um, when they go to the Olympics, which I believe they can't get paid for. Um, or I don't know how I could be wrong, but I know with college stuff, they can't get paid for that. But they basically you're hoping to get a sponsorship and then like one person gets a sponsorship and is that like special person. And then everyone else is just kind of like, oh, maybe we'll do something in college, but probably then their bodies are too fucked anyway. And that's that. So it's a crazy sacrifice um, for all of these girls, usually girls. And that, or at least that's what this album is specific, specified, you know, mm-hmm. is uh, focused on. Sorry. Let's move on, and, and I'll we just can, say in we terms talk about the, the yeah we'll talk the about sam- the pictures. Later. Well, I would just say like the sample, like the I like the song a lot in the sense that it's like this simple loop of this. Uh, again, this wasn't us uh, with a drum machine. This was um, a sample we found from a documentary about uh, gymnastics that we looped, and then there's some synth work over it. It's a pretty simple track, and I just love uh, Amelia's vocals over it. So let's move on to song three, The Girls I Loved Most. So this is another um, track that is almost to me like a sequel track in a way to cross twine in the sense that musically also um, it uses a sample that Amelia found on YouTube that I believe is like different loops of uh, gymnasts on like springboards Mm -hmm. or or maybe jumping off. It's doing they're doing back handsprings. Uh, And then like that's the, the sound, the booming kind of rhythmic, not rhythmic, but like the booming sound is their feet hitting the, the pads. Right. Yeah. Um, I love that. And then there's this kind of like vague, like buzzing. I don't even know if it's a synth or feedback or what that kind of loops or moves linearly over it. And then again, Amelia's doing vocals. And uh, is this this song similarly kind of about cross twine too? Like mm-hmm. similar lyrics, I guess, right? Uh, yeah. And there's like with it, it it all of these songs that 
like lyrically are about what was like intensely listened to in the victim impact statements and this one particularly uh the girls i loved most was like referring to like nassar's office Mm -hmm. was full of these photos of him with all of these famous gymnasts right that he had treated yeah so everyone all these you know nobody girls who hadn't you know achieved any kind of success would go in there and be starstruck and and that was a part of this kind the, of grooming. That was his that grooming was, process, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the first kind of thing that you would see that would make you put your guard down a yeah, little bit, and your exactly. parents' guard down too. Like if, like famous gymnasts and athletes don't get molested, right? It's like the reasons why, like, it's the first kind of like entry into like why these girls would endure such torment, mm-hmm. or like, like these are the reasons like why they would right. want to continue and uh, to. A, like achieve this perfection right. and, and you're told also just ex- implicitly explicitly you trust men you trust doctors these very masculine figures even like uh, a hero right a these hero. are the men that will fix your broken female body and you better just take what is given to you um that anyway yeah yeah um, and they've been doing it since they were like eight years old right they've been having their legs stretched and so pain and being uncomfortable is like at the mo that's already part of this whole process and that's what's interesting too is finally in some of these documentaries that i like or dislike in different ways i think one of them finally kind of said like like even without the sexual abuse this is already abuse because we're literally physically breaking these girls bodies down for i don't know um a industry of of families to pay money to like really expensive gym memberships right Mm -hmm. um it's a fucked up system no matter how you view it right and i i think another thing just before so i don't forget it you know uh, it's interesting the way uh even the court case if you watched the entire court case there was this female judge and her name i can't remember her name but and i don't think this is simple but in the end, they kind of tried to tie things up with this ribbon of like, okay, you got you girls told your story to your monster, to Nassar, and now you're all stronger for it, and things are better, and you're all sisters, and you're all survivors, and it's okay. And, you know, I'm not, imp- I'm not 100% saying that this judge said, you're all fixed and everything's great, but I think the way that the the documentaries and the 2020 episodes were had tried to sell it. And, and in truth, the way to get interviews from some of these girls also is to say, we're selling it to where you're not victims, to where you're completely, you're in control and you're telling your story. And I understand that you kind of have to sell things that way. But to me, um, and I realize I'm a man saying this, but to me, it's much darker it's again uh the obvious thing of like these news stories taking their narratives of abuse narratives and repackaging them and selling them um like all abuse narratives are to just be consumed and thrown away but then to kind of be convinced that you're all a sisterhood of people that are quitting this guy and you're locking and throwing away the key of which by the way nassar we all know most likely thinks that these girls weren't abused and that our culture and this courtroom told them they were abused. And that 
you know, just like when I was a kid and, you know, the doctor looked at my penis when I was a little kid that someone told me that was abuse, uh, you know, then I would get, believe I was a victim, which isn't true at all. I would, it, whenever a doctor looked at me and examined me, and I'm saying this again as a man, it was just like this thing that was like whatever, it wasn't even uncomfortable, it was just this kind of process. Uh, clearly what he did to these girls is can totally different. But like many child molesters of specific kinds, he views what he did as not harming them and that culture and society and the justice system pervert their minds to make them think they were molested, um, which is just like the MO of many abusers. Mm-hmm. Sorry. But um, I just, before I, th- I forgot about that, I just wanted to say like all these documentaries and even in court, the, the new kind of story is, and it's good to, these women shouldn't be ashamed. They should be able to talk about what happened. And unlike, you know, 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, where it was like the shameful thing of not even showing your face if you were abused, you know, women should be able to tell their story 100%. But I think some women might agree. I don't know if you do that the way that they try to, to wrap things up in this neatly packaged bow is disingenuous at best and kind of perverse at worst. I, I don't know. Do you agree with that? Right. Or Yeah, I do. But do you feel like what I'm saying ultimately is do you feel like in even all abuse kind of stories and narratives, there's a kind of need nowadays to place a positive spin that says we're stronger and we've beaten them and that we're all okay and things are better and, and you telling your story on TV is a good thing for you. And I know it's not as simple as you think it's bad or good, but do you, I don't know, did, does that kind of, like, simplistic thing? Well, yeah, it's, like, I guess you have to, like, think about what the goal is. Or right, something. right, and the goal, and the goal for, in the court case is, like, for them to be, to for Nassar to get to hear the victims to, uh, to ha- so they can have their voice Mm-hmm. And he, you know, will have shame or he won't have shame. Most likely doesn't really have any shame. He's just embarrassed for his family, most likely. Um, yeah. But um, I just think it's interesting that, I don't know, there's an kind of empowerment that goes back to the even Annabelle Chong stuff where it's okay. You're not really a victim as long as, you know, if you can, you know, it used to be, people would tell women like you you're you're allowing yourself to be um a a victim like you can so what if your husband beats you up you can like just forget about it and not talk about it and move on and it's good to talk about it right Mm -hmm. do you feel like there is that there is a kind of simplistic fairy tale ending of everything's okay now that we told our story on tv for sure like is it a good thing uh no, because it's 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 always a deception, right? From each and in every individual grasp over the impact of what has happened mm-hmm, to you, mm-hmm. and no one I I don't think really does have like a a goal in that case. Mm-hmm. If you're going out to speak about it, it's like not really. It, 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 you have to place it in the mind of like I guess it's like not even really for. You, yeah, what's the end point? Yeah, who who is it for? That's the great question. Yeah, it's it's for it, it, the audience for those yes. girls are uh, hypothetically other athletes that that happened to, but it's like what happened to them is so specific and right, and right. 
probably they have to just change they have to and hopefully they're doing it they have to arrest the people that are in charge of all these gymnastics organizations but like you said what's who's the audience you know and is the audience it's like, like an echo chamber right a bunch you know? of housewives or husbands watching larry nassar get yelled at and they hear the stories and, and so to, to me they get to for cheer them. for yeah. them similar to like they're again in front of this audience and then um you know they're told like don't worry you guys you're not disgusting voyeurs and weirdos for watching this because in the end they're sisters that are stronger for telling their story to you on tv do you get what i mean by yeah. that like like the uh the producers who make these shows or even the lawyers and judges that create these victim impact statements are telling the audiences telling themselves that this will make things better and I understand part of the thought process of, well, what are we going to do? Not have them tell their story, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching this thing about Richard Ramirez, the serial killer. And uh, I didn't even really know this. Uh, he, you know, of course, in L.A., uh, in like, killed and raped men and women and, like, just was, like, a brutal serial killer. But also, he molested a couple little kids girls and let them live okay and the they the like da decided to drop the molestation charges because hey he's already going to get like 14 death charges anyway and he's going to you know be on death row in la and you know part of the reason that they didn't want to have those extra molestation they called them the kitty charges by the way those are the words the cops used was because you know, from what they say, they didn't want the girls, they didn't want the girls to be re-victimized, not just on the stand, but it sounds like they didn't want the little girls to be known as molestation victims of Richard Ramirez. And I understand in some ways the desire for that, but it doesn't really sound like they asked the girls or the parents how they felt. More so was that there was these like sexist, misogynist cops that were like, oh, I wouldn't want my daughter to be viewed as some molestation victim right right and then that has to be channeled 25 years later into well it's okay it's okay we're not gonna cover things up like we did in the past but we're gonna make it to where you're these strong women and you're better off. i think people want to think that these girls are okay and better off some of them might be like well it's going to be a hard road to recovery but i think they're sh- they- they've been used up and and like it's time to move on and even for the court system right nassar has been yelled at and it's and then throw him in the way anyway you know i know this is like a little off kilter thing but i think it's an interesting conversation and it's one that i think about all the time yeah um we're gonna move on to victory over body the fourth track the middle of this entire album
so we're back. Um, that was the song, Victory Over Body, which is, like, to many people, and including us, like, one of the most disturbing songs we've ever made of any project, I think, uh, partially because it uses multiple samples, one of them being from a documentary, uh, uh, you know, gymnastics coaches doing the stretching routine that they do to stretch out the girl's legs. Um, and, again, this is, like, very much so just basically about that's you know the beginning of gymnastics you've got to like get them to do the splits and be able to like stretch their legs out right i mean it's like everyone does including in cheerleaders and there's videos of those stretchings that have gone like viral um and a lot of times what most commenters say is like aside from the people that aren't part of those organizations or fields they say like oh this is horrible and then there's people that are like oh no this is just part of the way it works um it seems bad but it's really not and um, I think, you know, so you've basically got a loop of that audio wise, and then there's recordings of, uh, I, I think it's me. I recorded myself like, uh, through like a, uh, I played contact mic through an amp of just like smashing metal and then recorded that on like a, a zoom recorder or something. And then of course the track ends with, uh, this, loop of after the stretching right of like this girl being excited and happy going laughing it's over they're stoked right yeah um it's like ends with this weird maniacal <laughs> laugh of this child and for me whenever amelia showed me this loop uh it reminded me of peter sotos on some of his lesser known uh cds has uh a set of loops where it'll be like uh, kids, sometimes adults, sometimes news stories or a, a term or a, some kind of phrase will weirdly loop over and over again. There's some like, ama I think you might be able to find some of it on YouTube. Um, and I definitely, for me at least, I, I was referencing that the way that this loop can be this like otherworldly disconnected thing while also being firmly planted in the conceptual ground can you talk about what that sample evokes i mean i, I know it's one of the ones you always talk about as being like really creepy to you right it's like really just like a frozen moment in time whether that be anguish or relief mm-hmm like laughter or crying it's like stuck forever like within you in this way right it's like a loop of this you know we, the first part of the track is this building of tension you know and uh then it ends with this kind of uh i guess you'd call it like well like you just said relief or um i don't know this kind of it's almost like allowing the listener to feel a little or more it could calm. Be something that like is locked with you forever too. Mm -hmm. It could be relief, but it also very well could be like you're like what's imprisoned inside you and and ever present in that way. Yes, for sure. Okay, let's. Well, yeah, I feel like um, it's actually a false sense of relief. Uh, it's the same girl happy now that she doesn't have to be do the stretches anymore with her coach. 
Um, and now it's a loop. Even if you don't understand the language she's speaking, you understand she feels like this exaltation, this like calmness, you know? For sure. And it really... And it mirrors like the reward that we give them in return for this suffering that we've made them endure for vanity's sake. Mm. And yeah, it's it's like... Um, it's like this short little piece that, that says so much, I think, to both of us. And uh, I don't know. I hope people get it. So now we're going to listen to track five, Tender Teaching Moments. Okay, we're back. That was Tender Teaching Moments. Um, so again, this is a track I do vocals on. Mostly this album is Amelia's vocals, which I'm glad it's that way. But this is the one um, where it's like my... I do. Uh, uh, I did like a little drum loop. I don't know how to use rhythm machines really, but it's my own little way of doing basic rhythmic uh, stuff. Um, and Amelia and I were talking while listening to the song about how we weren't really sure what the lyrics were. Right. You were saying that I was reading something, I think, off the internet? I think it's like a description of, like, an injury that someone right. had. Right, and, and they went to him to try to get it fixed. I think it's something like that. Yeah. Um, and then if... There's also that crazy story. It could be that insane story that a particular victim had that she had broken one of her like the smaller bone in your leg mm -hmm. and she had been doing gymnastics on it for some time and i think that's what this is yeah the, the, the coaches and everyone had been telling her to keep going and endure this pain mm -hmm. and nassar had treated her and stuff he did not inform her that she was going to break. Her, no, her that leg her was leg broken. was right, broken. Right, right, right. For the sake of continuing to molest her. Right. And then she was in such a catastrophic amount of pain and, pe and 
because she was being treated by ga- mass arch they were like basically gaslighting her. right they were saying like oh your leg's not broken you're and crazy they, th- she begged her mother to go to, to the hospital doctor. to get a, an x-ray and, and then they found out that her bone was like literally split in mm. it like down the middle you know oh god and she had been like doing all these flips on the injury mm-hmm. that was literally like nailing her own bone into it, itself Ugh. in like this insane Ugh. way Oof. so that's what you were reading i'm i'm pretty yes positive. i think that's what it is and because then, it, at the end it says like if it were any other, any athlete, other athlete like they would have been screaming it yeah 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 and again this is of course this amazing perfect example of even out, of course, she was being molested too. On top of being gaslit and told to participate in this sport with a fucking fractured leg, and being tortured, um, and these children's bodies are meaningless to them outside of their object status um, or victim status. Um, uh, and then, of course, the final part of the song is samples from what's left of Nas- Larry Nassar's YouTube channel where he would tender teaching moments, which Mm -hmm. is the name of the the track title, which is disgusting. And, you know, the, the channel was just pretty, you know, of course it didn't show anything obvious like abuse, but it was just him doing cheesy promo for himself to try to show different. Really? It was him wanting to keep these videotapes of, of his clients. Right. And, but I assume these are like exercises he did that are like, really normal exercise you didn't, there's no abuse in these videos right but the, it's all the cameras like angles mm-hmm. towards like these these bodies and stuff right and, really and just being able to like you know get the girls to walk around and and you know all this stuff is for him it's all important um even though if there's nothing obvious i think to people like us that are aware of, of it, you know you have to be aware of everything um so the next song is back uh it's called family fracture Let's listen to that. when I told my parents, when Larry rubbed my feet, he uses his penis. My parents confronted him and he denied any such action. Due to complex details that I won't get into here, my parents chose to believe Larry Nassar over me. I spent the years between 12 and 18 avoiding and detaching from my family. To my father, Someone who makes such heinous, false accusations is the worst type of person. His belief that I had lied seeped into the foundation of our relationship. Every time we got into a fight, he would tell me, you need to apologize to Larry. I learned to ask for very little, as I wanted my parents to know that I didn't need them, just as I felt they didn't want me. It wasn't until I was about to leave for college when my father again pulled the you need to apologize card that I took another chance at clearing my name. I told him that I wasn't lying and that Larry Nassar had indeed sexually abused me. 
Larry Nassar's actions had already caused me significant anguish, but I hurt worse as I watched my father realize what he had put me through. My father and I did our best to patch up our tattered relationship before he committed suicide in 2016. Admittedly, my father was experiencing debilitating health issues, but had he not had to bear the shame and self-loathing that stemmed from his defense of Larry Nassar, I believe he would have had a fighting chance for his life. Larry Nassar wedged himself between myself and my family and used his leverage as my parents' trusted friend to pry us apart until we fractured. And fractured we did. My relationship with my mother is still marbled with pain, anger, and resentment. And for a long time, I told people that I did not have a family. Okay, so that was uh, Family Fracture, which uh, is one of my favorite tracks. Do you want to talk about this song, Amelia? Uh, yeah, I would say it's like about how this abuse really kind of poisoned this these relationships between um the victims and their families Mm -hmm. um this sample that's at the end of this song is um a girl named kyle stevens Mm -hmm. And she's kind of the only one outside of gymnastics who was abused by Larry, who at least came forward. Um, All of these athletes kind of have this sisterhood or whatever you want to call it between them, at least what we're, you know, shown. Mm -hmm. But there's also this lack of support and this alienation that happens like once this abuse happened to them mm-hmm. that um made it impossible for the parents to really be there or understand because of their guilt and because we're directly this song it's it's about two victims but one's right. victim kyle stevens father killed himself once he realized that his daughter had been telling the truth about her abuse she's a different kind of victim she was actually molested by nassar all the way when she was six years old and it was done in the what you define like a traditional way where he was a family friend that groomed her and molested her like at at home in nassar's home right right and and was a family friend of like her father so right and so what happened uh, her father just like well because she tried to tell him i believe when she was pretty young even right and like over and over again her father refused to believe her mm-hmm. and it broke it broke their family up because he would try he would say you need to apologize to larry for years i think yeah, right? for years over and over again until it came out in 2016 yes and then because it was Natural. obvious and right. and in their face, right? His father couldn't like, or her father couldn't like deny it any longer and uh, killed himself because of the guilt. The guilt, yeah. And then it references another case that's, I think, actually you hear the actual uh, sample of that from the intro track, but 
uh, what's that one about? That one is the one where she says that after she came home, she called her mom and asked her if she had seen the news Mm -hmm. and um, told her about what happened, that that was what happened to her too. And Mm -hmm. she was like, but I was in the same room as you and, and couldn't swallow. That she sat there while her daughter got abused. Yeah, and she says, uh, there was no way my mother could comfort me mm-hmm. in that moment. Right. And that's really what, like, this song is like, or the lyrics at least. Like, right, the, everything's, like, fracturing and falling apart, and it becomes this indictment of, like, the parents in different ways, like the father who refuses to believe and is so f- disgusting that he force, tries to force his daughter to apologize and then kills himself, which is another way of not dealing with his daughter's pain, by the way. Yeah. He just, instead of being like, wow, I need to deal with this pain, he just rejects it again in a different way. And then in the other context, a mother wanting to not accept that she was there f- during the abuse. And I'm not even trying to say, like, oh, the mom knew that it happened and should have stopped it. I, don't, I think they were just as clueless as the girls to a certain degree, or oh, more yeah, clueless, actually. Oh, Right, but I think um, it's hard for them to accept themselves as that. Um, okay, this is the final track. Uh, the song's called Champion Production. Okay, that was Champion Production. This song is a outro track of where it's Dominique Maricone talking about the... Okay, I said the name wrong. What is it? Dominique what? Moshianu. See? I'm sorry. I'm it's so sorry. Russian, yeah. Yes. So uh, some people might recognize that name, um, but she wasn't a part of the Nassar stuff, uh, but she was a well-known young gymnast in the 90s. Uh, she was... Uh, got big and huge and helped promote Bella Caroli and uh, his, he has a gymnastics with his wife training camp. Um, The Carolis, I believe 
if I'm not mistaken, they were from the for- the Soviet Union, and they were known as like the biggest, baddest, you know, champion production uh, trainers, and they kind of they took Dominique under their wing back in the day. And in this, she doesn't talk about sexual abuse as much as she talks about because she wasn't sexually abused by them. She talks about how her parents just gave her to these people, essentially, and she was mentally and physically abused, and her whole life was basically created just so that she could become this little sports champion victory production. So we were just talking about that final Dominique Marcianu track, and um, kind of you off um, when the song was playing, you were kind of talking about how her parents, who we know were Romanian immigrants, um, D- Dominique was born in America. Um, her parents were both gymnasts, um, and they like were they had aspirations for her to be a gymnast too. We know, right? And um, it was kind of like that was the plan. She was going to be the one to make to 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 help the family because you know it's a family of immigrants right Mm -hmm. and this is how you survive this is a way to survive to to be uh to be a professional athlete yeah it's almost like a totally different thing than these american girls where like gymnastics is like this uh symbol of Right. Right. A lot of the times, and of course, this is a generalization, but I think for American kids and parents, it's more of a middle to upper class sport um, uh, to either for them to a reflection of their um, good upbringing and their that they're successful children. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course, there's some that. or or lower class and need it and would love to be able to be successful but i think very much so with gymnastics it's it costs so much money yeah you know what i mean like you need to have either the the funds to pay for gyms and and, um coaches or in the case of someone like i assume dominique um she was able her parents and this is just me assuming um her parents were probably they probably put money into it but after a while i people probably started seeing her, you know, potential, and then they start sponsoring her, mm-hmm. taking her on. Um, yeah, and it's, like, this, this sad background that she has, like, her... I don't know if, like, many people know this, but, like, Dominique had a sister who was, like, adopted, um, who was born without legs, so it's kind of, like this crazy thing because she was only able to like reconnect to her once she, right that was she, it like she, her, she had a, a sister anymore right like uh it's what does it say um uh yeah it says um she revealed she has a younger sister who was born without legs and given up for adoption at the hospital and her, her yeah, sister her mother like like they didn't even know that she was gonna give birth to a baby without legs and then like they just were like it's done yeah and she's actually an acrobat and aerialist it, yeah i know <laughs> so she was a Crazy. featured performer in the circus tour mm-hmm. i guess the point is is that like the sister thing shows a lot that like with you know these your immigrant family members um she is this 
meal ticket and commodity and she has this sister who literally they look at her and they're like oh she's a burden and it kind of comes from that poor you know former Soviet Union kind of the thing of like this is just a burden to us get rid of them um and it just says so much though still she's like she I know she was emancipated at age 17 um um so I don't know I think like you said it's just this another example at the end of of how crazy things can get how objectified and like awful things are like you don't even have parents anymore she she has to be emancipated in any way you know by that time the height of her gymnast era she's raised by the Corollis who are just abusive anyway so mm -hmm. it's just like you're completely without any love or pa compassion in your right. life um you know this is a track if we're talking about the actual like uh makeup of the track it's you know what i was saying like an atrax morgue kind of like the sample is put through a reverb and delay and there's like a synth under it that's kind of like creepy and um uh it's kind of, it's the kind of the polar opposite of the intro samples mm -hmm. but i think the end is important also because it kind of moves past the nassar stuff and is an indictment on all of gymnastics and even sports in general um i think you know and then also you can also look at it like the way that this girl dominique after she got out of the Olympics, she basically had to write a book and kind of sell herself as, I'm a post-gymnast. I'm in a, a victim of abuse and neglect, and she has to rebrand herself as a kind of victim's advocate because that's what it's done to them. You know, that's like in the space of the media, some of these girls ha um, are able to pivot to become um, famous victims, you know? Right. It's a different kind of success. Right. And, it, and, this, and I'm not talking about this in the kind of, like, I'm anti-PC and, like, people are, like, victims on social. That's not what I'm we're saying. Um, it's quite literally a, you're, you become what's to some they call victims' rights advocates, but it's, it's still about your career and the kind of, placing yourself in this kind of capitalistic system of being a part of the media and political like you know how do i fill up my year i can talk on this many talk shows i can have this book deal or i can also you know maybe do uh stuff where i speak in front of congress if there's some kind of thing about sports and exploitation in sports and you have to kind of whittle out your own victims uh rights branding marketing whole you know space and it becomes, again, similar to what we were talking about before, this, I don't know, just this, like, corrupt thing altogether. Mm -hmm. do, like, do these victims actually get helped? I mean, is there a way for anyone to be healed, right? I don't, I don't know the answer. That's, I guess, a very individualistic thing. People that are healed from their own abuse, if it's even possible. Um, but makes me think about, like, of all things, uh, Twin Peaks and the, the Twin Peaks Return series. Amelia and I are watching Twin Peaks again, side note. Mm -hmm. But I was just thinking about the Twin Peaks Season 3, whatever you want to call it. Uh, to me, one of the themes of Season 3 is, you know, spoilers for Twin Peaks. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, but um, in my opinion, 
season three starts to be about Cooper trying to uh, go back in time to essentially stop Laura from ever being killed. Try, trying to stop this trauma. And in my, my opinion, I could be wrong, what we end up with at the end of the show is he's in this kind of side dimension where, uh, you know, Laura in the, in the main world disappeared that night. She didn't not get killed and raped. She just disappeared. So there was still trauma in her family because she disappeared. And then Cooper and Diane go to this other version of reality where Laura, I don't know if you remember this familiar, but she's like a waitress. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and then they get in the car and he takes her to her old house that isn't her house. And, you know, Cooper's like, wait, what, where, what time is it? Like, where are we? And she's screaming. And to me, one of the main takeaways I got was is Lynch and Frost were trying to say that, like, trauma can never be erased. It cannot be excised. There's no hero. You, to- you can't even go back and try to, to resurrect or, like, or purify the past or what happened. It only, like leads you back to the same cycle and and Mm -hmm. you experience the same like momentum of intensity right and that women and those who are victims of abuse and control it's not about curing people it's about trying to you know and maybe this sounds like lofty but like create a space or like culture where people can like work through their pain and deal with their pain on an individualistic level. But I think this going back to like uh, that court case where there's this judge who's trying to say like, you're all sisters now and you did it. You told your story. It's like you told your story, which it is good to not of course hide abuse, but that's really just a step that's, you know, you went in front of this guy that did these horrible things who completely is a sociopath, a psychopath, who's never going to feel any kind of ounce of empathy except for himself and his family. Mm-hmm. And there's you, no victory. There is no victory. There's This isn't like in the end they won because they told their story and it got out. And, every, you know, I don't think, you know, if I was talking to that judge, I don't think she'd go, Ooh, of course I didn't think everything was perfect. But it was, a if you watch the case, it feels like she's trying to package things in this very like easily digestible media friendly way mm-hmm. that these girls are like these victims who shared their statements and things things are going to be better we're at least doing things we're putting things in the right direction and i sadly don't know how true that is of course it's good that they were able to tell their truth and people were there to hear them but I think that's beyond it's, – it's, like, less than the first step. The first step, you know, it's also very specific. And um, I think it says it's a lot about the justice system and the media system and all of it being intertwined and also uh, Amelianized personal connections to these people's stories and the empathy we feel for them. I don't know. You know? Absolutely. Um you know, we're this is the end of the album, but uh, I guess you know we could t- talk about the, the we could talk about the art. We could talk about the release of it. Is there anything that you you're thinking of that we haven't touched on? Mm. I guess like the the photos, mm-hmm. a lot of them 
like are weird like photos I found on Etsy. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking about the booklet that comes with the taper, the LP. Yeah. And that's I think that's a huge thing we should talk about. Like you are this Etsy or not? It's, you're this Instagram <laughs> Etsy social media genius. You go through. You do this like research about all these different things. We've been doing a lot of research for our section to project too, but you found all this stuff about uh, all these photos and all this, this culture related to gymnasts. Yeah, definitely. And what kind of stuff would you find? I would find like, like a, for instance, Etsy would be like used, <clears throat> used like gymnastics uniforms mm-hmm. for for the performance. So. Those are like really expensive. Custom. Yes. Yeah, so Leotard. if they're used, they're discounted, and you can buy them from Latvia at a discount, mm-hmm. and they're like probably like two hundred dollars versus like five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. you know, newly bought mm-hmm. and like you know tailored. So. Um, but a lot of the all, pic- of, all of them are like yeah exactly they're moms taking photos of their daughters like in the uniforms and it's these. They'd block their faces yeah, out. Yeah. And they'd use these weird of... filters to block, mm-hmm. the, which is, like, smart. Oh, yes, block your daughter's face out. Yeah. But it becomes this, like, strange, otherworldly mask that they're wearing, which just makes it feel very dislocated and weird. And then, of course, the whole entire culture of uh, sports and, you know, we could make a whole episode about well, it, but it, Instagram's a dark place. It, Let's right, just say exactly. that. It's like... Uh, a lot of the gymnastics like girls mm-hmm. are like trying to be successful in the sport, but it's also like selling your daughter's brand as also perhaps like a a model or or whatever. So mm-hmm. they're like these young teenage gymnasts, and their Instagrams are are run by mom mm-hmm. and um these like the these accounts are public and but they're like they live dead accounts like, yeah the there's like no there photos are, yeah, or, totally. or pictures or if there are it's like the followers fake. you mean yes the followers yeah. are let's say half of the followers are probably creeps for sure and the other half are like moms or or probably moms because i don't there's even... no control where those photos will be reposted right and, and, and i think what the hashtags and stuff too are like a source of of like a rabbit hole these creeps can go down yeah totally. and, and that's the thing is that these women these mothers have to know that these photos are being they used don't turn and... off like comments or anything so right. the comments are all there you can read them and uh they're liked and and like you know shared yeah because, and so yeah. yeah and it's like you as a parent know what your the social media is being used for the the, the audience that's take that is the main audience and you don't do anything about it and that's really horrifying they're in fact they're promoting it and pushing it and the avenues that get that goes down are like very deep and scary and um deal with you know it goes even beyond gymnasts and social media in general um and i think it even says thing about Instagram because yes, Instagram takes down pornography or, or, or abuse or violence. I'm sure, but they leave up the stuff that's in the kind of gray area, um, and 
they you can just anybody can look and i'm sure that they have to see weird creepy dead profiles without photos making strange comments on you know gymnasts the accounts that are run by their mothers and no, no these accounts aren't being deleted and they're not being banned um and so it's a really an indictment of the whole system of social media too mm. what's up um there's also the aspect of like youtube also on mm -hmm. top of this all and um just the same like the same kind about, of it's, about yeah, like the access to videos and right the access to thing all i can say is if i had a kid i i would be i don't know if i would even want them to be on social like in terms of i'm not even talking about like oh you're 10 or can you have your own facebook i'm talking about i don't really know how many many pictures i would ever even post of them or if i would have a private profile and just have my friends being able to like you know share family moments or whatever but when you're completely just sharing these very specific things and you know how they could it can look um you're definitely a part of the problem for lack of a better term and you're indulging in it and pushing it so not only are you pushing that but you're also pushing this physical abuse this violence and then you're also trying to become you know i don't i think famous is too obvious of a word but well right because it's it's like these coaches or parents like on youtube they make like this content of like this is exactly how it's done mm -hmm. and i'm like trying to show this as like a it's like a you know they are in this like position of like expertise on right. these girls and like their bodies and stuff and, right and they want them to be successful whatever that means i'll leave it at that um i guess the final thing i could say is uh, I felt like when we released the cassette version, we pretty much immediately wanted to do an LP version, and I'm glad that we did, that we had the chance to self-release it on LP, and I think there's people that appreciate it and love it, um, but I guess the ultimate thing, though, is, like, for us, I, I think if there was no audience, we'd still make these pieces for ourselves. Um, they're a documentation of our connections and interests and... Um, I know it's a cliche, but obsessions. Um, so I'm glad we got to share stuff about this album. Me too. And um, it should be on Spotify, the Victory Over Body by Concave Convex. It should be on Spotify and iTunes and all that stuff soon. It just got accepted onto it. But at the exact moment that we're recording this, it might only be on like Bandcamp. Like go to, you have to go to breathingproblem.bandcamp.com and you can find the album for free on there. But, uh, you know, if you're listening to this a couple weeks later or whenever, it's worth checking Spotify, too. should be there. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I'm Rusty Kelly. And I'm Amelia McKay. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank Thanks. you.